week in our series, What's Next? Uh, and we're, gonna ta- we're talking about what happens after we finish up life on planet Earth. And so far we've learned that according to the Bible, and again, it's no use for us to talk about this if we're not going to look at a biblical perspective. We've learned that according to the Bible, there are really only two options for eternity. You're either going to spend eternity in a place called heaven, or you're going to spend eternity in a place called hell. And we kicked off the series the first week. We talked about heaven and what heaven would be like, and everybody walked out all jacked up and excited and happy about heaven. And then the next week, we talked about hell. People were not nearly as excited, okay? And then last week, hell almost froze over, so we couldn't even have have church, right? Uh, So we're going to change gears a little bit this weekend, and we're going to look at one of the most asked questions when it comes to God, and really it goes to the character of who God is, and the question is this, how could a loving God send someone to hell? I mean, if hell is, is really as bad as the Bible describes it, how could a God who is a loving God, how could he actually send somebody uh, to a place like that? And I think one of the great challenges we face is that we often, we often try to address a theological question or a biblical question, and we try to use human logic. Right, let me just give you a very, very valuable principle. Uh, don't ever answer a biblical question without using the Bible. Okay, I, that may sound simple, but we do that all the time. Every answer you want to a biblical question can be found in the Bible. So make sure you use the Bible. But instead of doing that, often, you know, we get together with our, with our little groups or in our small group or at a coffee shop, and, and we begin to try to work through these difficult questions, biblical questions, and we use our human logic, and we get all passionate, we get all worked up, we get all emotional. But at the end of the day, that doesn't really help us when we're simply trying to answer a biblical question. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter how we feel about the issue. The issue is this, what does the Bible say? So this weekend, if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Romans. It is the sixth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then you will come to the book of Romans, Romans chapter one. And let's try to answer the question, how could a loving God send someone to hell. I'm going to give you some biblical principles that you'll either buy into or you won't buy into this weekend, and then we're going to unpack them as we go through this message. This is the first principle you need to know to answer this question, and it's this. God is a just God. God is a just God. This is what the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. This is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this. In other words, if you want to brag about something, God says, brag about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, there's our word, and righteousness on earth, for in these things I delight. So here, God says, I actually take great pleasure in being a God of justice. I take great pleasure in being a just God. So God is a just God. Now, this is what I mean by that. God will never, because of his character, God will never give an unjust judgment to any person. God is incapable of giving an unjust judgment to any person. And this probably brings up another question that we need to answer before we can answer the first question, because you've, you've debated this one also if you've been around church for a while. Would God send someone to hell who's never heard the gospel? You say, well, Mike, what exactly is the gospel? 
Well, a few weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 14, verse 6. This is, this is the passage where Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you, right? And then when you get to verse 6 of John chapter 14, Jesus said this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In other words, Jesus was saying, if you want to have a relationship with the Father, if you want to go to this place that I'm preparing for you, referring to heaven, if you want to get there one day, you're only going to get there one way. And it won't be through Muhammad. It won't be through Buddha. It won't be through studying the universe of Mother Nature. The only way Jesus says you're going to get there is through me. And Jesus had the audacity to say that because he knew that in just a few days, he was going to be nailed to a cross. He was going to shed his blood to pay the penalty for our sins that have separated us from God. Not only that, he knew that three days after he died on the cross, he would come back to life to verify and validate that he was indeed the one who was capable of taking away the sins of the world. And Jesus is saying, I am going to do that so you can be restored and reconciled back into a relationship with God. So if you want to be in a relationship with God, you're going to have to accept this free gift of salvation that God is offering mankind through what I'm going to do on the cross. That's the gospel. Which brings us back to the question, would God send someone to hell who has never heard the gospel? What about the pygmy in the Central African Republic out in the jungle somewhere who's never heard and maybe will never hear the gospel? I've gotten this email over and over. What about a baby who dies before they're old enough to understand the gospel? How about an individual who is born with a mental capacity where they just don't have the cognitive skills to understand the gospel? Would God send that person to hell? Well, let's go back to the biblical principle. God is a just God. And God will never give an unjust judgment to any person. But what does it mean? Well, Romans chapter 1, let me give you the context. In Romans chapter 1, the great apostle Paul, he is talking about the overall spiritual condition of mankind. And he starts off on a very positive note, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And we've told you before, the Greek word for gospel means good news. So he says, I am not ashamed of this good news because it is the power of God that brings salvation, notice this, to everyone who believes. It's available to everyone who believes it. First to the Jew, in other words, it began with the Jews, then it spread to the Gentiles. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. And then he quotes from Habakkuk. Sounds like you're, you know, hacking up one. Habakkuk 2.4. He says this, the righteous will live by faith. Or maybe you grew up in church and you heard the just will live by faith. And then he switches gears a little bit in verse 18. And this is what he says. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. And so all of a sudden, after sharing this good news about the gospel, Paul says you need to understand that the wrath of God is being revealed. So he talks about the wrath of God, and I think it shocks a lot of church people these days because we have become so accustomed to this politically uh, correct concept of a just God, loving God, merciful God, soft, cuddly, warm, fuzzy God, right? And Paul says, hey, all of those things about God may be true, and most of them are. But he says, you also need to know that the holy and righteous God of heaven is also including in his, included in his character. He's also a God of wrath. And when Paul wrote this to the church at Rome in the first century, he had two words at his disposal in the Greek that he could have used to describe the wrath of God. The first Greek word, give you a little Greek lesson, thumos. We get our English word thermometer from it. It means to breathe violently, to pant with a temper. It means anger. 
It's this idea of a sudden burst of anger, a sudden burst of rage. And maybe that's happened to you. Maybe, maybe your spouse just got on your last nerve and you just let them have it, right? Or your kids just pushed the wrong button and you just, you just exploded all over them. That's what he's talking about. But that's not the word that Paul uses here for wrath. He uses the other word, it's orge, and it means God's holy aversion to all that is evil. So it's not a sudden burst of anger. It's not a sudden burst of rage. It's not God getting ticked off and saying, man, I'm going to open up a can. You know what? You know, it's not that at all. It is a sustained, constant condition. We would say it's God's character. We would say, oh, it's just the way he is. It's just the way he's wired. In other words, being righteous himself, God naturally has an aversion to everything that is evil. I mean, it's like oil and water. It just will not go together. Look at verse 18 again. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against who? Against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. Now here's the key phrase, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And again, I'm not one of those the Greek word means. That doesn't mean a whole lot, but sometimes it actually brings the passage to light. This Greek word uh, that's translated suppress here means to hold back and to restrain. So in the context of what Paul is talking about, this is, this is the idea of seeing the evidence of God, weighing the evidence of God, but after mankind sees the evidence of God, man chooses to ignore the evidence of God. It's like, I see it, but don't confuse me with the facts. So we would say this is the person who hears the evidence, examines the evidence of God, but then makes the decision to deliberately reject God. I don't want it, I'm not interested, I don't need it. And Paul says from God's perspective, that person is wicked, that person is godless. They are without God in their life. And then he tells us why mankind is in this condition. Look at verse 18 again. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 9, since what may be known about God is plain to them. In other words, what may be known about God is obvious to them because God has made it plain to them. In other words, Paul says God has made it obvious to mankind. And it's interesting, this little Greek phrase here, plain to them, it's actually a reference to our inner conscience. He says he's made it evident to our inner conscience. It's that part of us that when we're laying in bed at night and we're thinking about life, we think, wow, there's got to be more to all of this than just chance. Ever had that thought? I think we've all had that thought. And Paul is saying that God has put that kind of evidence within every person. He has made it obvious. But often man just ignores the evidence of God. They suppress the truth. They're like, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to think about that. So Paul says that kind of evidence is within us. But then he goes on to say not only is it deep within us in our conscience, it's also all around us. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. A few weeks ago, I told you guys that we had moved from uh, the big metropolis of Apex out to Holly Springs. And uh, one night I was sitting out in my backyard and it was really dark and it was one of those nice uh, nights in November, remember, that was 75 degrees. And uh, I was offering up a burnt offering, which you guys know is smoking a cigar. And I'm, I'm looking up at the sky and I realized, wow, there are more stars in Holly Springs than in Apex. I don't know if that means God loves Holly Springs more. I can't imagine what Fuqua is like when you get out that far, right? But there's nothing like looking at the stars to being reminded that there has to be a designer 
behind the design, right? And that truth is as obvious to the pygmy that's living in the tropical jungle as it is to the business person who is living and making his money in the concrete jungle. And so what Paul is saying is this. Since the beginning of time, since creation, God has made himself evident to every person. He's made himself evident inwardly. He's made himself evident outwardly. It's obvious. It's clear. It's irrefutable. It is unmistakable. And Paul says, since that's the case, since God has made himself, his presence, so obvious to everyone, God has every right to say in verse 20, so that people are without excuse. One translation says this, people have no defense. So Paul writes this letter to the church at Rome, and he says, hey, guys, let's be honest. Look around. It is right under our noses. It is all around us. It is in us. You would have to suppress the truth. You would have to ignore and reject what is obvious to deny the existence of God. This is how David said it in Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the, to the, ends of the world. Now, I'm, I don't want to be rude or offensive. Sometimes I do, but this morning I don't. Seriously. I mean, seriously, do you really believe that this is all by chance? I mean, I'm telling you, it is utterly impossible, mathematically and scientifically, that to believe that the conditions of this earth that are so receptive to life, it is, it is absolutely impossible to believe that it's just an accident. And that is what Paul is offering up as evidence. He says, listen, God made it obvious within us. He made it obvious to us. But man, instead of believing it, decided to suppress that information, choose not to believe it. Man chose to believe that there was a design without a designer. Man chose to believe there's a plan without a planner. And so Paul says here that because of mankind's decision to suppress it, ignore it, deny it, reject it. He says, when mankind stands before God, Man will be without excuse. Why? Because God has made himself evident to everyone. He's done it internally. He's done it externally. And no one will ever be able to stand before God. By the way, next week we're going to look, we're going to have to put two messages together because of the ice. We're going to look at the second coming. And then we're going to talk about what happens after the second coming. Because every one of us are going to stand at one of two judgments. Now, you're going to get to pick which judgment you're going to stand at, but we're all going to stand at one of two judgments. We'll look at those next week. But no one, when they stand before God, will be able to say, no one told me. See, God's response will be, oh, yeah, they did. I told you. But if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, what about the person who never hears the gospel? Again, you've got to answer a biblical question with the Bible. So let me give you the second clear biblical principle, and it's this. Every person who seeks God will find God. Every person who seeks God will find God. That is God's promise to every person. It doesn't, again, it doesn't matter if they live in a tropical jungle or or a concrete jungle. Every person who seeks God will find God. Let me give you some verses. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 17. I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. How about Jeremiah 29, 13? You will seek me and find me 
when you seek me with all your heart. Here's my favorite, Acts 17, verse 26. From one man, he made all the nations. That's saying God created Adam and Eve, and we all came from Adam and Eve. You can forget your family tree. It all leads back to Adam, okay? You guys need to know that. We're all cousins. Turn to the person beside you and say, good morning, cousin. Right? It's kind of weird if it's your wife, but it's true. She's your cousin. That's, that's, that's a whole nother series, okay? But anyway, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. Now I want you to notice this. And he marked out their appointed times in history. That means God, God's the one who picked the time in all of creation that you would leave, live. Not only that, he says he picked the boundaries of their land. So not only did God choose when you would live, he chose where you would live. He chose that you would be born in the United States instead of Haiti, or maybe in Canada instead of the Central African Republic. God made those choices. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. I love this last phrase, though he is not far from any one of us. I'm telling you, this is the biblical principle. If a person will simply make the effort, God will reveal himself. I'm telling you, God is a just God. If you seek him, you will find him. But it leads us to one more principle. God is a loving God. He's a loving God, which brings us back to the question, how could a loving God send someone to hell? Well, again, in order to answer that biblical question, we have to answer it from the Bible. This is the first thing you need to know about hell. God did not originally create hell for mankind. You can read about in the book of Ezekiel, Isaiah, the book of Revelation, that tells us that in heaven there was a coup that took place. And Lucifer, that was his name before he was thrown out of heaven, the most beautiful angel, was actually a worship leader in heaven. Think about that. And he was so impressed with himself, he convinced a third of the angels to try to overthrow God. God threw them out of heaven, down to earth. Most theologians believe that that is when hell was created. And God created hell for Satan and those fallen angels. But when you get to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 14, it talks about because of man's wickedness and because of man's Man's decision to reject God, God had to actually enlarge hell that was originally created just for Satan and his angels, but he had to enlarge it to include mankind. God didn't create hell for people. I mean, think about it. That's why he sent Jesus, so nobody would have to go to hell. How about this, 2 Peter 3, 9, or, or to honor uh, some of our presidential candidates, 2 Peter, 2 Peter 3, 9. Wow, what a mess we got to think. 400 million people, and this is the best we got. But anyway, 2 Peter 3, 9, we need, a, we need a king. We need to go back to a monarchy. Tom Selleck should be king. He looks like a king. Morgan Freeman should be king. I could get all over that. But I'm saying, I mean, if you can play God, you can play a king. But anyway, 2, 2 Peter 3, 9, this is what it says. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. By the way, let me just say this. If your issue is that God can't exist because there's a hell and people are going to go to it, all you've proven is this. All you've proven is that God, the way you would like him to exist, doesn't exist. And, and, and that's true. I mean, in your mind, you came up with your own picture of God. You gave him your own job description. And then you search for this God that you created in your mind. You can't find him. 
And so you tore up the picture, you tore up the job description, you concluded, hey, that God doesn't exist. I want you to know you are exactly right. That God as you see him, that God as you would like him to exist, that God that you created in your mind, he does not exist. But I'm going to tell you something, that says nothing about whether or not there is a God. And you need to keep that in mind. So let's answer the question, how could a loving God send someone to hell? Again, you can only answer a biblical question with the Bible. So here's the biblical answer. You may or may not like it. According to Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, God is a just God. But God is also a God of loving kindness. He's a loving God. John 3, 16, for God what? So loved the world. So from a biblical perspective, this is where I have to land. I'm not really that worried or concerned about the pygmies in the rainforest. I'm not concerned about the baby who doesn't reach the age of accountability or the individual who doesn't have the cognitive skills to put it all together. I just have to choose as a believer to trust God's character. I have to be okay with the fact that God is a just God, that God is a loving God, and that anybody seeks him will find him. I will just leave that to God. My confidence in him is he will sort it all out. I don't lose any sleep over those kinds of questions whatsoever. But do you know what does concern me? It's to all of us people that God has revealed himself to both inwardly and outwardly, but they've chosen to suppress the truth. They've chosen to reject the evidence. I mean, let's be honest. For most of you, the real issue isn't that I just can't trust a God that might send somebody to hell. You know what I, you and I both know, that's a smokescreen. That's a bunch of junk. That's not the real issue. If you're really honest, if you peel away all the layers, the real issue is this. You just don't want to surrender your life to God. And maybe it's out of fear. I get that. Oh, but what does that mean? What does it look like? What's he going to make me give up? What's he going to make me do? And so there's some fear there. Maybe it's just out of pride. Maybe you're like, man, I don't submit my life to anybody. Maybe that's just the way you're wired. But the reality is this. Regardless of the reason, you have chosen to reject God. And it's not that you don't know. Paul says, it says here in Romans chapter 1, hey, it's been revealed to you internally and externally. And hey, I got bad news for you. On top of that, this, guess what? This weekend, you've heard the gospel. You've heard God's truth about this issue. So you now fall into the category of people who are without excuse. But here's, here's the big problem. We'll have thousands, over 10,000 people in our campuses this weekend. And I guarantee many will walk out the doors of our campuses choosing to reject God by the way have you ever been rejected in a relationship I have these dreams I tell Laura about them I'm so insecure but on a regular basis I dream that I go to a party or something and Laura's there with another guy and I'm like hey what about me I don't love you anymore well come home with me nope I'm gonna go home with him and I wake up and I'm angry and I kick her out of the bed no I don't do any of that but anyway you ever have dreams like that? You know, like, oh, and, and no matter how hard you try, you can't win them back. You ever been rejected? Uh, psychologists actually tell us it is the greatest hurt that we go through as humans when someone rejects us, right? Some of you sitting here this weekend, you've been divorced. Someone had told you, there's no room for you in my life anymore. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's an incredible feeling. Let me ask you a question. Why do we think that our rejection doesn't hurt God? You know what our problem is? Our problem is, is we think of, of God as this clinical, emotionless, sterile being. I got to tell you, God has emotions. Think about this. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. 
Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. You read throughout the scriptures that things that happen here on planet earth uh, move God to anger. He has emotions and it hurts him when we reject him. Do you know why? It's because since the beginning of time, all God has ever wanted is a family. Since the beginning of time, since creation, all God has ever wanted was to be in a relationship with mankind that he created. By the way, I don't know how you perceive the Bible, but think of the Bible this way. It is an epic love story. It's about a God who created humanity and loved humanity, but humanity chose to reject God, and the rest of the Bible is about God's pursuit to be restored back into a relationship with mankind. And by the way, at the end of time, as we're going to see next week, that's all God gets. That's all he gets. He gets restored relationships. But see, God knew that if there was going to be a relationship with us, he was going to have to give us the opportunity to either accept that relationship or reject that relationship. And so understand something. God created us with a free will. He created us in a way that we have a choice. And, and, and we know that this is important because if we're in relationships, every one of us know a relationship cannot be forced. Nobody can force you to be in a relationship. I mean, have you ever had somebody decide that they wanted to be your best friend? But you hadn't decided yet? whether or not you wanted to be their best friend. And they start calling you and texting you and coming by your apartment or your house and they want to go out with you, right? Or maybe, maybe you took a new job and all of a sudden the boss wants to be your best friend. And they keep, hey, I got two tickets for the game this weekend. Let's go. Or, hey, let's get our spouses together and go out to dinner. Or let's go on a trip together. And you're like, I don't, first of all, it's awkward because I feel like I have to, but I don't really know if I like you and we don't really have anything in common. My point is, if there's going to be a real relationship both individuals have to freely choose to enter into that relationship. Well, you got to understand, if there is going to be a real relationship, an authentic relationship between man and God, God had to give mankind the freedom to either accept that relationship or reject that relationship. And my guess is that when God made that decision, the angels were going, whoa, 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 God, wait, wait, wait. Let's really, really think this through. Because if you give mankind the freedom to reject you, if you give mankind free will, you are going to give him the power to create unimaginable evil. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. And we live with the consequences of that evil every day in our lives. By the way, another question people love to ask is, if there really is a God, why is there so much pain and suffering and evil in the world? Anybody ever asked you that? Have you ever asked that question? Well, let me tell you something. God could very easily end all the suffering and pain and the evil in the world. All God has to do is say, okay, everybody line up and turn in your freedom card. To which we would respond, well, wait a second. What? God, no, you misunderstood. I don't want to turn in my freedom card. I want you to take their freedom card. Take, their, take away their freedom to plunder, to steal, to rape, to murder. But I don't want you to see, my guess is none of us would give up our freedom of choice. And as much as we want to blame God for all the evil, suffering, and pain in the world, God didn't cause any of that stuff. But I will tell you this, God did create the potential for suffering and pain and evil when he gave us what we prize most as human beings when he gave us our freedom to choose. And in spite of the fact that God knew that we would abuse the gift of freedom, guess what? God said, I'm gonna give it to him anyway. And why would God do that? Somebody emailed me and asked me that. Why would God give us freedom if he knew we were just gonna abuse it? This is why. It's because that's how much God values authentic relationship. And so he measured the disastrous potential of that decision. He said, no, you know what? I'm going to give them the choice. I'm going to give them the freedom. They can either reject 
me or they can accept and choose to be in a relationship with me, but it's going to be their choice. Think of it this way. You know, you, you don't stand in front of your dishwasher and celebrate when it washes the dishes, do you? No, it's a machine. It has to. You push the button, it just has to do it. But ladies, if you're getting ready to clean the kitchen and your lazy husband gets off his butt and turns the ESPN off and comes in the kitchen to help, what do you do? You celebrate, right? Because he, he has a free will. He has a choice. In the very same way, when someone who loves you, when someone loves you who doesn't have to love you, understand it is meaningful. But if someone loves you because they have to love you, it's meaningless. God wants people who want to love him because you choose to love him. You have a free will. You can choose to love God. You can choose to reject God. You can choose to be in a relationship with God or you can choose, I'm not gonna be in a relationship with God. So let's go back to the question. Would a loving God send someone to hell? The answer is no. He would not. But I will tell you this. People send themselves to hell every day. You have a choice. And at the end of the day, you're going to see next week, you're going to choose your eternal destination. Not God. Not God. By the way, let me just say this and get in a little dig to all of you wannabe theologians out there. It is true that God chose us before we chose him. But God chose everyone in the world. John 3.16 doesn't say, for God chose, for God so loved the believers. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. How about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 19? God was reconciling believers? No, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. God chose everyone. But understand, the only people that will be in heaven are the people that actually choose him. You have a choice. Now, I began this message by talking about the tough question, how could a loving God send someone to hell? I want you to know it's really not that tough of a question. Christianity is, is about faith. And I have all the confidence in my faith in God. I, I can answer that question pretty easily from the Bible. This is the tough question I can't answer this weekend. This is one I cannot wrap my head around. And it's this, how can anyone reject a loving God? That's the one I don't understand. But let me, just, let me make it perfectly clear. If you do, if you do reject him, it will be your choice. And at the end of the day, or maybe we should say at the end of your life, when it's all said and done, understand you, not God, you will be responsible for the consequences. Now, that's what the Bible says. It's America. You can do with it what you want. But you better be right. Let's pray. You need to understand God made a way. God provided a solution in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and what he did for us on the cross. So I would encourage you this morning, just forget everybody else. What about you? Because every one of us, we're at that crossroad where we have to decide, am I going to accept God's free gift of salvation or am I going to reject God's free gift of salvation? That's really what it boils down to. There is no middle ground. There is no gray area. It is that black and white. And not to accept it is to reject it.
To accept it means that right now, you get the life that deep down inside you've always wanted. A life of purpose, a life of peace, the sense of forgiveness, of being accepted and loved. I'm telling you right now, many of you are on an endless pursuit for fulfillment and you can't fulfill that void, that hole in your soul because the hole that is there has been created from the absence of God in your life because God created you to be in community with him and it will never be resolved until you resolve this issue. You get the life you may not even realize that you've always wanted and then on top of that, kind of as a cherry on top, when you die, you get to spend all eternity in a place called heaven with the God who loves you. To reject it, means that forever and ever and ever when you die, you will be eternally separated from God in a place called hell. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. Father, I pray right now for those who need to make a decision. And by not making a decision, they're actually making a decision. I pray that they will not reject a loving God. Father, regardless of what they're impression has been of you. Maybe for the first time they would see that you love us so much that you gave up everything you have to have the possibility, just the possibility of being restored into a relationship with us. You're not willing that any would perish, but that we would all come to repentance. Father, through this series, I just pray that if if we've never gotten it before, that we will get it. In your name we pray, amen. 